Okay, Mark chapter number five is where we're going to be at. And just to, to get us on track where we're at, we've been in a series for some time uh, called Refocus. Uh, I don't know, I've been saying this so often, I need to start quizzing you guys and see if you all remember it, right? <laughs> Next week I'm going to say, what is our series called, right? But anyway, we've been in our series Refocus, and what we're doing is we're going through the Gospels and we're letting uh, Jesus speak for himself, really. We're looking in the Gospels to see who Jesus is because uh, a lot of times we get uh, wrong ideas from religion and from traditions and from our own desires and understandings about what Jesus is like. But whenever we look through the scripture and see the things that he teaches, the things that he does, uh, the interactions that he has with people, both those who are antagonistic toward him and those who follow him, we get an idea of who Jesus is, okay? And I believe that he is very different than what he is often portrayed in religion today, okay? And so we're just kind of peeling that back so we can have a clearer view of who he is. Uh, last week, what we looked at was Jesus and the disciples left the multitudes, got in a ship, and took off across the Sea of Galilee. And in the middle of that sea, there was a storm that came up, and Jesus was asleep on the boat. The disciples were pretty confident in their abilities. They thought they knew what they were doing and how to get across and how to navigate through the storm, but it got to be too much for them. And finally, in despair, they cried out to Jesus and said, Do you not care? And Jesus rebuked the, the winds. He spoke peace to the seas. And he asked them, where is your faith? Why did you doubt? And we saw in this how we should go about navigating the storms. Because just because we are with Jesus, just because he is ordering our steps and we are seeking to follow his will, that doesn't exempt us from trials and testings and difficulties. And a lot of people have this wrong idea. If I'm just serving the Lord, everything will go smoothly. That's never been the case. Because God uses our trials, our temptations, our struggles to grow us, to draw us near to him, and to cause us to depend on him. And so anyway, uh, we're not exempted from the storm just because we're following Jesus. And a lot of times we are too confident in our own abilities, and we try to navigate it ourselves for far too long. And what ends up happening is we become overwhelmed, we become afraid, we become discouraged, and we end up turning that toward God. Sometimes it is our fear destroys our faith, and we believe that God is not with us, that God doesn't care about us, that God is allowing horrible things to happen for us as if there is something wrong with God. And a lot of times it's just that we are not trusting him and we are not allowing him to be the one leading us through the storm. Instead, we're trying to weather the storm by our own abilities. And so whenever they cried out to Jesus, Jesus calmed the storm. He took care of them. He saw them to the other side. So if we will trust Jesus through the storms, he's either going to bring us through it or he's going to cause it to end. He's either going to uh, bring peace to the storm or bring peace through the storm. Okay. And at the end of it, we are going to be uh, stronger, wiser, uh, better off because of going through it. God doesn't waste our trials. He has a purpose behind those. And so today what we're going to be looking at, uh, today what we're going to be looking at is that uh, there was someone else that was watching as this was all going on. The disciples are going to come to uh, shore after this uh, venture, 
and they're going to be met by a man that seems to have been watching as the storm raged and as it supernaturally calmed. Could you imagine uh, being in this area, watching over the sea, seeing this little ship tossed about and all these things going on, and then just all of a sudden, the waves lay flat, the winds quit, and it's like calm. And the sea goes from roaring and foaming to like a piece of glass. And this guy probably be scratching his head saying, what in the world is going on? Right? And so they're going to meet this guy. And we often refer to him as the maniac of Gadara. There's a lot of people in the Bible that have unflattering names associated with them. Thomas is the doubter. Rahab's the harlot. And you've got the maniac of Gadara. Just thinking about that, just for, how would you like for that to be the way that you are remembered in history? We know that after he meets Jesus, he's no longer a maniac, but that's still how we know him. But anyway, he would have rejoiced at the sight of Jesus, but the demons that inhabited him would tremble at the sight of Jesus. And so could the one who spoke peace to the seas speak peace to the heart of this man who has been tormented for so long? Jesus has proven that he has power over this natural world. He has power over the winds and the seas. Does he also have power over the spiritual realm? And so Jesus is going to be confronting uh, the devil this morning. And from the events in this passage, I believe that we can see some of the very same forces that are at work in the world which we live in today. So let's look at Mark chapter 5. And we're going to start, uh, pray for me, my tongue is not wanting to work. We're going to be in Mark chapter 5. We're going to start with verse number 1. And it says, And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and cried with a loud voice, and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee uh, by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was in a there was nigh unto the, the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about two thousand, and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what was, what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell him, befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, 
but said unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. Let's go to the Lord in prayer once again. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity that we have to, to look at your word and to uh, to think on it for just a little while. I just pray that you would teach our hearts and our minds from your word, that you would encourage us from it, Lord. And Lord, that you'd just be with each person here, that they would glean from the service exactly what is needed from it. I just pray that you would deal with hearts and lives today. If there's one that's struggling, if there's one here today that don't know you, that's lost and undone, that today would be the day that they would be saved. If there's one that's doubting or 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 whatever it may be that's conflicting in their lives, Lord, I just pray that you would deal with that and draw them to yourself, Lord. And Lord, we just pray, thank you so much for all that you do. I ask you help me, Lord, as I preach. And all these things I pray in Jesus' name, and amen. Mm-hmm. It was quite a welcoming committee that Jesus and his disciples had whenever they came into the region of the Gadarenes, right? They were met by a crazy naked man who was full of demons. It probably had the disciples kind of wishing they were back in the storm. Could you imagine? This had been quite strange. So this is the first thing they see whenever they come to land after this big experience that they went through is this man that wear no clothes coming to them and falling down at Jesus' feet and worshiping him. And Jesus asking, who are you? And he says, I'm legion because we are many. There's many devils that are... Like, man, this is crazy, right? And so this is their welcoming committee. And though this account is bizarre, it gives us an overview of what's going on in the world which we live in today. You say, well, I don't see naked people running around full of devil. Well, maybe you do. I don't know. But I guess some of the television things you watch. Anyway, uh, but this isn't the kind of things that you see going on today. But you see, if you will kind of, Uh, step back just a little bit and have a look. You see that Satan has the same program now as he did then. He's doing some of the very same things today as he did then. We're not going to get tied up into demons and demonic possessions. Some people get uh, kind of wrapped up in that. They get uh, very enamored with that kind of thing. But I think that it's more profitable for us that we pursue after Christ rather than pursuing after all these things. But we can look into this and have a little bit of an understanding how Satan and his kingdom work, the kind of things that Satan is doing still to this day as he did back then. So the first thing that I want to look at in this passage is how it illustrates Satan's program. Okay, What is it that Satan is seeking to do? What is it that he is going about? In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul told the Corinthians, we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. We find in other places that the enemy... Uh, uh, seeketh to kill and to steal and to destroy. We find that the uh, devil as a roaring lion goeth about seeking whom he may devour. These are things that are characteristic of Satan and what he is trying to do. We can go all the way back to the very beginning, as we often do, and we find that in the very beginning, before uh, even the Garden of Eden, we find that Satan uh, was a created being. He was an angel. He was a servant of God. And for some reason and somehow, pride came up within him, and he decided, I don't want to do what God wants me to do. I don't want to glorify him. I want to receive the glory for myself. I want to do my will. I want to be honored. I want to be glorified. I want to be praised. 
I want to be God. And that's what Satan desired. And so he was able to uh, lead one third of the angels of heaven astray with him. And of course, God kicked him out of heaven. But God allowed him for a time to continue. He didn't lock him away at that time. He didn't destroy him at that time. But he has allowed him to continue throughout this age. And we find that whenever uh, Adam and Eve were in the garden, that Satan came in the form of the serpent. And what was it that Satan was desiring for Adam and Eve? This was God's creation. This was the one that was fellowshipping with God, that God was spending time, the one that God loved, the one that was created in God's image. And Satan decided, I am going to come and I'm going to defile that. He says, anything that God creates, I want to corrupt. Anything that he designs, I want to defile because that is what Satan has been about from the beginning. And God has allowed him through his own wisdom, through his own knowledge, through his own sovereignty, he has allowed Satan to continue. And we've talked about this in the past, that it gives us a choice. It gives us a choice. And whenever we look at creation, God says, I'm going to create all things. I'm going to provide all things for mankind. I'm going to give them everything that they need. I'm going to put them in a beautiful place. I'm going to give them my presence. And I'm going to provide for them as a loving father. But for them to love me, they have to do it by their own choosing. I can't make them love me. And so Satan, I believe, in this tree of uh, knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden was a choice. Either they love God, they trust God, they obey God, or they reject him the same as Satan did. Right? And we see that playing out all the way through Scripture, that there is a decision that all men face, and Satan is seeking to destroy and to deceive as many people as he can. And so as we zoom into this man here, it seems as if Satan had a particular fascination with this one guy. It seems as if he turned loose all hell on this one man's soul, because this man had a horrible and tormented and tortured life. And so picture him, okay? Well, maybe not too vividly. But imagine what it would be like. This man was someone's son, was maybe someone's husband, maybe someone's father. But Satan had entered into him, and he was insane. He was going about screaming, howling at the moon, running through the mountains, yelling and screeching. He wore no clothes. He was cutting himself. He was trying to destroy himself. I don't know. He was probably a danger to the people that was around him. And the townspeople were often trying to, uh, to put him in chains and in fetters and to bind him, to keep him from hurting himself and other people. But every time that they tried to tie him down, every time they tried to bind him, he was able to break those chains and continue to wreak havoc and chaos on the townspeople and on himself. And so you can see how Satan is being... Uh, being illustrated, I guess we could say, in this man's life. What Satan desires, if he had it his way, he would turn the entire world into chaos. He would corrupt everything that God had made. And if he could, he would kill every single human being. You look at other places in Scripture and find what Satan does whenever he gets a hold of someone. You find that there were people who were possessed of devils, and it says that they often would be falling into fires and falling into water. He would be trying to destroy their lives. 
We find with Judas that the devil entered into Judas. And what did he end up leading Judas to do? Take his own life. And so Satan wants to destroy life. He wants to do as much damage as he can to life. And so if we take this man's situation and the things the devil was doing in his life, and we look at the society and the culture which we live at today, we see his fingerprints all over it. Just the fact that this man lived amongst the tombs, there was a fascination with death. You ever you see that in society? There's a fascination with death. The, the fact that he was going about naked, we live in a pornographic society. It seems that the further people get away from God, the less clothes they wear. Right? <clears throat> the more sexualized society becomes. And we see this going on in this guy's life. Uh, not only that, is he was throwing off any sort of restraint that they would put upon him. All the things that would uh, enforce decency, enforce morality, would try to keep him to hold back some of these animalistic instincts and ideas that he had. He was throwing those things off. And that's what we find in the society in which we live today, that mankind is trying to throw off any sort of boundary, any kind of restraint, any sort of decency. And they are welcoming in some of the most corrupt and basest of acts and they refuse any sort of control, any sort of containment. People are marching against every sort of uh, thing that they see as being confining. They're marching against all of these things that have been boundaries throughout, basically throughout mankind's time. And they're saying, we don't want these things anymore. We want to throw off so all the social norms. We want to consider these things that have always been done in secret and in private. We want to bring them out and parade them down Main Street, throwing off all the social norms. The idea of violence, this man cutting himself with stones and bleeding. We have so much today of suicide, of death, of uh, constant wars and fightings and murders, abortion, all these different things going on where Satan is stirring within the hearts of man anything that he can to bring about violence, to bring about bloodshed, to bring about murder, to bring about torture. And we look in the world which we live in today and wonder why is this so prevalent? Why is it that people are so bent on killing themselves and each other? And we look at this and we find that this is what Satan tries to do within the lives of the creatures that God loves. If he can make us naked to our shame, if he can cause us to be violent toward one another, if he can convince us to throw away all boundaries and all social norms and any kind of morality and anything that would even keep us close to being anything that God would have us to be, if he can get us to do that, then he's winning, right? This is what he's after. This is his plan. This is his program. Corrupt everything that God loves. Touch everything and make it. Do you realize that there is not a thing that mankind can create, even for the very best of intentions, that we can't also find ways of misusing and corrupting? If you come up with an invention, if you come up with a device of some sort, and you could use it to save many lives. Someone will find out a way to use it to destroy lives. Right? And this is what's going on in the world which we live in. Satan 
wants to devour. He wants to destroy. He wants to corrupt because he is doing his very best to get rid of anything that God would love. He's trying to get rid of what God is doing. Uh, just this idea of death and destruction, even whenever Jesus was born in Bethlehem, we've talked about this before. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he inspired Herod to go out and kill all of the babies, right? This is Satan's doing as he is seeking death and destruction everywhere they go. This is Satan's program. And he takes great pleasure in it. And it seems like he's fairly successful. And all of that seems pretty bleak and discouraging, doesn't it? Reads like the evening news. The world is in chaos. Things are horrible. Things are going bad. People are dying. People are killing each other. Satan seems to be winning. But that's not the end of the story. So as Satan was wreaking havoc in this man's life, Jesus came to shore and confronted Satan. And so we saw Satan's program. Now we see the Savior's power. In verse number six, if you'll read with me, it says, but when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshiped him. Who was it that was worshiping Jesus? Hmm? The man? Does it seem like the man was in control anywhere during this? Nothing that was going on. The man had lost full control. Satan had taken over. And so whenever this man came and worshiped Jesus, it was the devils that were in control of him because we realize from this that in the presence of Jesus, that even the devils must bow before him. You realize that? The Bible says that one day every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. And that's not just mankind. That is all of creation. That is even the devil and all of the angels that have went with him, even all of his demons, have to bow to him and proclaim him to be the Lord. Okay? And so whenever we see the Lord's power in this, uh, a lot of times we have this false idea that there is a dichotomy, that somehow Satan and Jesus are on equal opposite sides, locked in a, an eternal battle one against the other. You see it in different religions. The Chinese have the yin and the yang, the white and the black, right? And the world thinks there's this idea that Satan is some kind of equal opposite to Jesus, but Satan is a created being. And he has no power except that which God allows him to have. And does God, did God create evil? No, God didn't create evil. But even he in his sovereignty and in his power and in his wisdom is able to use the evil and wickedness of Satan and the evil and the wickedness in this world for good and to bring it about, to bring his plan to pass. We see that highlighted in Joseph's life. And he told his brothers, the things that you meant for me for evil, God meant it for good. You find that at the cross, that as Pilate and as Herod and as uh, all of these different ones had tried their very best to destroy Jesus, and they took him and they crucified him on the cross. They buried him in a borrowed tomb, and the devils rejoiced, thinking they had won. And on the third day, he rose victorious. And what they didn't realize is while they thought they were getting rid of him, they were fulfilling God's plan of salvation for mankind. I've said this in the past. I'll say it again. The devil is dumb. He keeps thinking that he can defeat God. He thinks that he has power. He thinks he has authority. He thinks he has this ability. But even whenever Jesus came on shore here, they were forced to bow at his feet. Right? Mm -hmm. 
whenever he came before them, they were begging him for mercy. In one of the parallel passages, they beg him and say, don't cast this out into the deep. They're not talking about the sea. They're talking about the pit. There's places in scripture that talks about demons being chained in the pit until the day of judgment. They are awaiting whenever God sets all things right and he turns loose his wrath upon those who are appointed to wrath and they are begging him, don't put us in this demon's prison that you have prepared. Allow us a little bit more time upon this earth to go about and have freedom and spread chaos. And Jesus actually grants it to them because he is able to use it for his glory and for the good of mankind. Okay? And so Jesus has this power. They could only do what he allowed them to do. We look at the, the story of Job, whenever God says, have you, uh, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says, yeah, but you have a hedge built about him. You have set boundaries. You have set protections about him. You won't let me. Right? And God says, okay, I will let you do this much, no further. And that was as far as he could. He can't go outside of the bounds of what God does. And God sets those bounds because he uses these things for our good, for his glory. Okay? And this is the power of Christ. We see this. Even in what I was talking about there a minute ago, whenever they ask, art thou come to torment me before the time, they know that their days are limited. They know their days are numbered. And so Satan himself, all of his demons know that the judgment lay ahead. They know their their future. Uh, Satan can read the Bible. God has written it out. Satan knows the end of the book. He knows that he is the final loser. He's just trying to cause as much chaos as he can until then. And so he knows he's going to be judged. He knows that he's going to take his part in the lake of fire, which burns forever. He knows that already. He's just trying to take as many people as he can with him. Mm -hmm. And so they said, we know our time is limited. We know we can't do anything besides what you allow. And so Jesus has power over all of these things. He has control over all of that. In the end, Satan is going to raise up with all of his armies. They're going to march against Jesus. Jesus is going to come with all of his saints. We're going to be riding on white horses. We like that part in the end of the scripture, right? And so anyway, we're going to be coming, and we're not going to have to raise a sword. We're not going to have to raise a gun. I don't get to launch a rocket. That would be fun. But anyway, I don't have to do anything because it says that they are going to be slain with the, mouth, or with the sword that proceeds out of his mouth. That is his words that's going to slay them. Not a literal sword. He's not going to have like a sword proceeding out. Ah, that'd be weird. But anyway, <laughs> the sword that proceeds out of his mouth is his words. And so he's going to speak the word and Satan and all of his wicked minions are going to be destroyed, defeated, and go to hell where they belong. And God has appointed that. He has decided that. He has determined it. It will be done. And so though it may look like for now that the evil is winning, that Satan is winning, that Satan is corrupting everything, it is all going together into God's plan and mankind is making their decision on who they will worship, whether it be Satan or whether it be God. Mm -hmm. You say, well, mankind doesn't worship Satan. Look at what man is doing today. Look at the decision that we have today. And I may be getting ahead of myself just a little bit, but Satan, what he did in the very beginning is he said, I will not let God rule over me. I want to rule over myself. I don't care what he wants me to do. I want to do what I want to do. Right? Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And in the world we live today, people say, I will not have God to rule over me. I don't care what his word says. I don't care what he's determined is right and wrong. I don't care that he has created all things. I don't care that he is the just one, that he is the righteous judge, that he is going to be the one who is going to rule and reign for I don't care. I want to do what I want to do now. Who are they following? They are like their father, the devil, and the things that he has done is the things that they will do. And we look at people today and we say, well, we're not that bad. You look at the people and they say, oh, they're doing great things. But they are doing it to serve themselves and for their own glory and not for the glory of God that created all things. And so as we look at the world around us today, people are making their decisions. They are choosing their sides. And so we come to the third part that we find here. We saw uh, Satan's uh, program. We saw the Savior's power. But we also see... <clears throat> Uh, society's plea. Because whenever they come, whenever Jesus has come and he has cast out the devils and this man is sitting and clothed and in his right mind, the pigs have already jumped off the cliff and drowned. The ones who were keeping the pigs go into town and they say, you're not going to believe what just happened. You know the crazy naked guy? He's not crazy and naked anymore. The demons that were in him went in our pigs and now our pigs are dead. And the people didn't hear this man's clothed in his right mind. The man who used to torment us and cause all this chaos in our town is healed and cleansed. They heard our pigs are dead. Right? right. 2,000 pigs, that's quite a bit of money, right? Mm -hmm. And they came out and it says that they were afraid. They were fearful. They are more afraid of Jesus than they were of the crazy guy, which, I mean, they should be. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. But anyway, they're afraid of him. But I think most of their fear stems from the, the thought that if he sticks around, what is he going to ruin? He's already changing things. He's already killed our pigs. And by the way, these were Jews in this area. They shouldn't have been raising pigs. This may have been pigs that were going to be offered at temples and offered to false gods and all these. I don't know. But the Jews weren't supposed to be raising pigs because pigs were unclean under the law. And they said, we've lost all of our pigs. We've lost all of this money. And if he stays around, then we are out of control. It's going to cost us. We don't know what he's going to do next. And so they are afraid. And what do they do? They besought him that he would depart out of their coasts. They said, Jesus, we don't want you here. You are you are cramping our style. You're getting in the way. We can't do what we want to do while you're here. So if you would just leave us alone, we would be glad. And is that not what the world is doing today? They like not to retain God in their, in their minds. And so they have been turned over to a reprobate mind to do that, which is not convenient. Mm -hmm. That's what's going on in the world today. They said, we don't want God here. We don't want him controlling our actions. We don't want him ruining our fun. We don't want him telling us what to do because if God is here, if he is working in our midst, then he is going to ruin these things that we've done for ourselves. It might cost us something. And so society, by and large, has said, God, just get out of here. Just leave us alone. And we wonder why things are so wicked and so evil. People say, if God is so good, why do these bad things happen? 
because we have rejected him and we have followed after Satan rather than following after God. Because we have told God to get out and he's got out. Isn't that what happens? Whenever you read this, it says, verse 17, they began to pray him, depart out of their coasts. And when he was coming to the ship, he just got there and already got kicked out. He showed up. He worked a miracle in this guy's life. He says, I can deliver you from the wickedness that's in you. I can heal these uh, deficiencies and these things that's going on. I can get rid of Satan out of your coast. And they said, no, we'd rather get rid of you out of our coast. We kind of liked it when Satan was around. Isn't that what they were doing? And we like to think, no, it's not that bad. It's not that corrupt. We look at uh, most of the people today, they consider themselves good people, right? We don't need God. We're good. We're moral people. We don't need God to be moral. Isn't that what's going on with the atheists? They say that religion is a crutch, that Christianity is, is teaching morality, but we can be moral without God. That's what they're teaching. Without God, there's no morality. You start bringing in atheism. You start bringing in evolution. It's survival of the fittest. If I kill you and I advance myself, then hey, that's evolution and practice, right? There is no morality if you take God out of the picture. And that's what people are doing. They want to take God out of the picture so they can do what they want to do. So there is no judge, but they can't get rid of God because he is here forever. And his plans and his all of the things that he has told was going to happen will happen. See, we look at men like this maniac of Gadara, right? Yeah, he needed Jesus. You look at some of the worst uh, elements of society, the murderers, the drunkards, the rapists, the, uh, all of these different ones. Yeah, they need Jesus. But what about the, the moral person, the good person in society? They're like these guys that we're seeing here. They said, well, no, we don't need him. We're doing okay without him. I think that's one of the reasons why it is so hard to be a witness and to evangelize in the Western world today is because it's become so affluent. We are rich and increased with goods and we have need of nothing, including Jesus. Jesus says that it would be harder for a camel to, or harder for a rich man to enter into heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, right? That's what we see going on because they say, I have everything that I need here on this earth taken care of. What need have I of Jesus? But here's the thing. We are eternal creatures. Mm -hmm. This earth isn't the end of it. Even the very longings that we have in our heart and in our being, we desire to live forever because God has planted that within us. And we know we're living forever. Look at how hard men try to beat death. Look how hard they're trying to escape judgment. They know that there is more to life than this earth. And if this is all there is, Paul says, I am of all men most miserable. Some of the things that's going on in this world today and the wickedness and the depravity and the wars and the disease and all of that, if that's all we have to look forward to, that's pretty discouraging. It's pretty depressing, isn't it? But see, here's the thing. God has prepared us for eternity. 
And he's not just wanting to give us a, a, a good life on this earth, but he's wanting us to have a good life for eternity. He's wanting us to dwell with him forever. And he is offering up to whosoever will salvation. But mankind is so blinded by their temporary success, by the comforts of this world, by the lives that they're building here, they are not interested in eternity. And they tell God, you just leave us alone. Just get out of here. Let us live our lives. Let us pile up our wealth. And the Bible says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? This is what's going on. They're gaining the whole world. They're losing their soul. And they're telling God, I'm happy with the way things are. I'm building up my heaven here. And they don't care about the things of God. And the amazing thing for me in all of this is that whenever they say, we don't want you here, what does Jesus do? He leaves. He doesn't force himself on anybody. He doesn't make anyone follow him. He doesn't make anyone love him. He doesn't make anyone accept him. And if we don't want him, he will oblige us our decision. He will honor our decision and he will leave. And that's not just a lost man, that's a safe person as well. Because we get so tied up in the here and the now. God has a plan, he has a purpose, he has a future. He's got so many great benefits and blessings for us. He's got eternity that waits us. And too often we say, God, I'm a little bit busy. Could you just leave me alone and let me build my career? Could you just let me uh, work out my own plans and my own desires? God, I've got this under control. You just buzz off. That little harsh telling God to buzz off. That's what we do with our actions. We wouldn't say it with our words, but that's what's going on is we tell God, just leave us alone. We've got it under control. And God says, okay, fine then. But I'll tell you, he's available whenever we're ready for him. He may leave, but he doesn't leave forever. He still seeks, he, he doesn't take pleasure in the law, in the death of the wicked. He doesn't enjoy the fact that people reject him. He doesn't want to see a single person go to hell says that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants all to come to him, but if they reject him, he honors their decision. I've said this before, I'll say it again. God does not send anyone to hell. They choose hell because they've rejected him. He has done everything possible besides making them, and he will not do that. The final thing that we see in this, we saw, uh, we saw Satan's program, we saw the Savior's power, we saw society's pleading, and the last thing we see is the the servants proclaiming. Okay, keep everything nice and alliterated for you. We see the servants proclaiming. After this man has been delivered, after the devil has been cast out, says that he is setting clothed and in his right mind. They besought Jesus that he would leave. Jesus gets on the boat and he says, don't go without me. Right? He says, I want to be wherever you're at. He saw God's love. He saw God's power. He's enjoyed God's deliverance. God has done a work in his life that he never imagined that God would do. And he says, I want to be wherever Jesus is. I don't want him to go without me. I want to be wherever he's at. The disciples had the same opinion whenever uh, Jesus told his disciples, I'm going away, and they say, take us with you. Thomas says, where are you going? And Jesus tells them, the, uh, he basically tells them the way you know, I've already told you. And they, they're, they're begging. They say, I want to go where you are. And Jesus tells his disciples the thing, same thing he tells this man. 
He says, I'm going away. I'm going to come back. But while I'm gone, I want you to go and be a witness of me to all of the people in this region about you. He tells him in verse 19, go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and had compassion on thee. See, it would be great if at the moment that we get saved that God just take us straight to heaven. Wouldn't that be great? No sickness, no death, no parting, no corruption, no disease, no sin, no wickedness, just the presence of Jesus for eternity. Streets of gold, mansions, all those things. That would be great, right? But that's not his plan. He's got other things for us to do down here. Because there is a world down here who said, buzz off, we don't want you. And Jesus says, I'm going to leave you here for just a little while to show them how good I've been to you. To show them my salvation, to show them my love and my compassion so that they can receive the same deliverance that you have received. And so we are here as his mouthpieces. We are here as his ambassadors. We are here to proclaim God's love and his forgiveness and his compassion to a world that by and large is rejecting him and are running headlong into hell. And so this man stays behind. He goes and proclaims it. And Jesus says, tell how great things the Lord hath done for thee to your family, to your friends. He does one better. It says in verse 20, and he departed and began to publish in Decapolis. Decapolis isn't a city. It is a region. Decapolis means a city or the region of uh, 10 towns. So he didn't just do it at home. He went out evangelizing the next city and the next to a region of 10 different cities, telling them all about the great things that Jesus has done. He went out and he was able to show the scars. He was able to tell about all the, the wicked things that Satan had done to him and how much sin had destroyed him and how he was doomed and bound for eternity. But Jesus came. Jesus came and set him free. He set him free from that bondage that had him. He got rid of all that nonsense out of his life. He gave him a purpose. He gave him soundness of mind. He gave him peace in the middle of the torment and the chaos. And he was able to go out and proclaim to the world the great things that God had done for him. And we find if we continue reading in Mark chapter number seven, apparently his testimony was pretty powerful because Jesus comes back to that region and whenever he comes back to that region, multitudes meet him. And they bring their sick and they bring their inflicted and they say, you delivered that God, deliver us too. And that's what God has left us here for. We are here to be a testimony to this world that is sin sick and lost in torment and chaos and headed for destruction and saying there is a remedy, there is a savior and his name is Jesus. And we have that message to proclaim today. And if you look at this world through the lens of God's word, you realize how corrupt it is. They need a savior. They need delivered. The devil has them under his thumb for a time. And so how can we not tell others? How can we not proclaim the good news? That's what he's left us here to do. I don't want to see anyone go into this. I don't want to see them fall into the same con condemnation as Satan whenever deliverance is available. Right. And so if you put the pathway that Satan has them on to what Jesus wants for them, there's no comparison. Satan came to destroy. Jesus came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. 
So why would we continue to be fooled by Satan and to fall into his games and to his schemes and his programs whenever we have a God like Jesus? Mm-hmm. In a world that's full of chaos and destruction, when it seems that Satan is winning, Jesus is infinitely more powerful. Right. People may not want him, but they don't know what they're missing. And for us who, for us who know him, it's up to us to tell him. We need to be living for him today. And I want to say here today that if there is a person here that does not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, someone who has been blinded by their own goodness, blinded by Satan and his doings, that is leading you to destruction, if you think that you are a good person and you have no need of Jesus, you are mistaken. Because that is the same lie that Satan had at the beginning. That's the same lie that he told Adam and Eve you can do it yourself. You can do it on your own. You can be the one. You, it's all up to you. And Jesus says, it's all about me. I have come to bring deliverance to the captives. I've come to set the bound free. And if you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, confessed your sins and ask him to forgive you, then today could be that day. That's all it takes. It's not by you reforming your life. We see in this man's life, they have tried to bound him with chains and fetters. They have tried to uh, reform him themselves. You can't reform yourself. Society can't reform you. Religion can't reform you. But Jesus can transform you if you will simply come to him and trust him as your Savior. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. We thank you so much for this this account that we have in Scripture, and we see this battle between uh, between Satan and the flesh, and, and can't really call it a battle between Satan and you because there is no battle there, Lord, that you reign supreme, that your power is uh, far superior to anything that he has. But Lord, we know that there's so many people who are blinded and deceived by Satan and his workings in this world. We know that it's only temporary, and we thank you, Lord, for the freedom that you give We thank you, Lord, for the salvation that you give, and I praise you, Lord, that you saved me, that I've got heaven to look forward to. Help me, Lord, as a a freed maniac, I guess, to go out and be telling people about the salvation that only comes from you. Lord, I just pray that you'd open up the eyes of the lost, that you'd let them see their need for you, turn their hearts to you, and help them, Lord, that they would be saved. And Lord, we thank you so much for all that you do and all you're going to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.